a podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me today are the Waka and Selfie, my Titus. It's Jared, and don't worry, I'm not going to be trying to do a Waka accent. <laughs> and I'm Matt. And I so, so it's always just I'm Matt, huh, buddy? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I make a very good selfie, honestly. <laughs> well, whatever the case may be, today we are going to be starting Kingdom Hearts, and oh boy, I am looking forward to this discussion, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. We, Kingdom Hearts, one of its most intense and dense parts is at the beginning, so we got a lot to say. Oh, man. Like, the first episode, the first part of Kingdom Hearts is a lot of fun. Whenever I play it nowadays, I, I always like to play it on proud mode because I find that I will play games on the hardest difficulty level if I really like the systems. And even though I think Kingdom Hearts is a bit of a mess, I still think it's a lot of fun on proud mode. It's possible. Yeah. Ever considered this might be kind of some repressed self-destruction there? No. Yeah. <laughs> I always like playing things on the not the normal difficulty, but the harder one. Yeah, not necessarily well, like. You know, if there's if there's multiple difficulty settings, I'll go the one one step above normal. I will I'll, almost always p- play the normal difficulty if it's my first time playing a game, just to like learn how this system is supposed to work. Um, I won't take easy modes, but I rarely go too far above normal. I kind of mm-hmm. know I tend to only go so far in a mechanic before I start feeling the frustration. Though later in the season, though, you talked me into some other things. Uh huh. But we'll get to that later. Yep. Um. So. When you start in Kingdom Hearts, the fir- very first thing that you get to see after you select the difficulty is a uh, really cool music video. <laughs> to J-pop music for the win. Simple and clear. Clean. Clean. Simple and clean. <laughs> I, will not, I will get that wrong a hundred times in my life. I won't know why I, 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 I can't stop. Or the, although if you're Japanese, the song is called Hikari. I have no idea why they changed it to simple and clean in English. Mm, lyrics hmm. difference? The lyrics are different, too, yeah. Um, Interesting. Well, that's just natural. I don't know if you ever played around with trying to uh, fit music, different but, languages there. You can't do it like in a one-to-one translation. It's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but the vocalist, Hikaru Utada, is bilingual, which is pretty fascinating. She sings both the uh, Japanese and English versions, and she is very good at both. <laughs> yeah, she's an interesting oh, yeah. character in general. And, you know, there's a lot of Japanese vocal artists who use English words and don't you speak English very well, but uh, Hikaru Utada is very talented at singing in both languages, and she does not really have that strong of an accent. Mm-hmm. And let's English. just talk about this song, although apparently the title is something I have problems with. I just think it is a fantastic a bit. It's just, you know, it's catchy. The version that plays at the opening is upbeat and fast, so there are multiple versions. Mm-hmm. And you, well, it plays over just this yeah. very trippy video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Hikaru Utada is a very popular artist in her own right, and so it probably cost them a fortune just to license this song. Fortunately, they've got that Disney money back, backing them up. Exactly. Like, I mean, all the fortunes. Hikaru Tata is still getting work even today. She's uh, um, at the time of this recording in a, uh, a few months. She's all doing the vocal theme for the next Evangelion movie. So, oh my. <laughs> um, yeah, she is massively popular. Like, I, I'd say that she's probably like, if you know Gax, she's probably like equivalent to uh, him in terms of of j-pop popularity i may be making stuff up here but i do recall hearing that she was like the japanese britney spears back when that meant something so So, i mean it's worth talking about the music video this starts a long tradition of very psychedelic plot recapping stories so this one's probably the least psychedelic and also the least directly about the plot well i mean (laughs) it is a sort of foreshadowing uh type video um actually i would probably compare these a lot to like james bond 
film intros uh, in terms of just like, this is a music video to show you what the story is about um, without directly telling you what the story is. In this particular one, though, we actually are introduced to our three main characters, uh, Sora, Riku, and Kairi. I feel like I hear Sora's name with two other names normally. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, if you want to talk about imagery, the imagery is very much like friends running on the beach, but there's also repeated images of people falling, separation, like being separated through water, massive waves and change. So it just kind of throws you through all that and pretty fast, too. It's a lot of the beach imagery sort of feels like a trend from Square Enix around that time, starting with Chrono Cross and also with Final Fantasy X. A lot of these same visual language that they use in the openings for those games, they use here as well. Meaning like how Intense starts with a giant water ball with images in it showing up to wreck your home? It gets you in the zone and then uh, drops you right into a weird floating stained glass scene. <laughs> drops you being literally. One of the last things we see is a repeated image from the start where Sora, Sora, our main, suddenly goes from falling to sky to falling through water. And then he lands on a dark image that turns into this rather fascinating stained glass image of Snow White. It's kind of interesting with the stained glass thing, because I think the stained glass imagery is very Final Fantasy-esque, because I feel like a lot of Final Fantasy imagery from the time, and even still in a lot of ways, is kind of about taking this very high fantasy and quasi-pseudo-religious imagery and doing weird things with it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Now, do we want to talk about this world of stained glasses in? Because it is a recurring motif throughout the series. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something we're going to keep coming back to. And the name of the theme over this place is, one, very iconic for Kingdom Hearts and also rules. Uh, and it's also a very good description of what this place is called. It's called Dive to the Heart. And what we'll find out later is this is a sort of internal, introspective, navel-gazing, but literal world, which somehow helps the heroes connect with their ability and or draw out what's going to happen in preparation for the journey to come. And And the way it is, is it's this sort of eternal black cloudy void with these big pillar platforms, each of which is topped with with different stained glass imagery. And this one is mostly Disney. Mm -hmm. It starts you off with uh, Snow White, as you said, and then do you immediately go up to another one to get your uh, uh, weapon, or do you ha- get your weapon right there? I believe at first, it basically, this also functions as a tutorial. It's a very dreamlike state. There's a voice talking to Sora from nowhere. He says nothing. Sora does not speak. Mm-hmm. And there's just this beautiful, elegaic, chanting, haunting piece playing. Also, mm-hmm. as you said, called Dive to the Heart. And after it puts you through some basic controls, it moves you up to the second zone, which is Cinderella. It's like we're kind of going through different Disney princesses, you notice right away. And then it has you make a selection, which, you know, has some very specific meaning. Mm-hmm. And when you pick your weapon at the start of Kingdom Hearts, if it's your first playthrough of this game, it's asking you, hey, what do you think is cool? It gives you three choices. It gives you a sword, a shield, and a, a staff, all of which are decorated with Mickey-style imagery. <laughs> and... It's not something you're supposed to know the first time you're playing, but if you're like me and you've played this before, you want to know, okay, what am I actually picking here? What you're picking here is your starting stats and your skill progression. When I first played this game, I picked the sword because swords are cool. Uh, And basically, if you look into it, what you're getting is the sword is basically giving you attack focus of stats and or abilities. The shield is more defense, and the staff is setting you up for magic and some skills. And at least that's what you think it should be. But what it actually does is it impacts the order of skills that you're going to get. And, like, your default starting stats are slightly higher for attack if you take the sword, slightly higher for defense if you take the shield, and you get one more MP if you start with the staff. But it also 
impacts which uh, abilities you get. You get a lot more useful abilities if you pick the shield or the staff than if you pick the sword. Sword gives you a lot of combo abilities early, but it doesn't give you cool special techniques or useful stuff like Leaf Bracer uh, until way later down the road. So that, not to mention, not only does it make you pick something, you have to give something up too. Yep. So you're picking one and you're refusing another. It's all very much in the what path are you taking in your life, in your journey. Again, it's just, I, I feel like I could be saying this at every step here. This entire sequence is just so much of a, it's a vision quest all its own. Mm-hmm. It's literally a metaphorical depiction of introspection. Mm -hmm. You dive into your heart, man. And it's not quite clear why Sora is in this introspective mode right now. Um, You came to it right out of the the music video. Yep. It's actually kind of interesting with, with Sora because we never actually really get to understand the, what Sora half happened to Sora before the game really starts. Even this one, as of the time of this recording, you know, Kingdom Hearts 3 is out. As far as I know, we don't really get to know very much about Sora's life in the world of the Destiny Islands before it started. We know a little bit. That's all kind of stuff that comes up in the narrative time flow, however, which is something that I'll talk about way more later. (laughs) In a bit, we get the impression that he wakes up from a dream after it all happens, but it's not clear if that's all we saw or not. If I want to get very meta about it, the reason why Sora is taking an introspective uh, look here is we have suddenly taken control of him. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we pick up a character in a Kingdom Hearts game, we go into this intro- introspective mode. It could be picking and, up uh, who we are. And so anyway. And, and Sora is kind of, he's not like a true blank slate character. He is not. But he's a player avatar nonetheless. Yeah, he is supposed to be an energetic, energetic kid who's going to learn to like Disney. As a fan, as a fan of Shonen, I always call his type a spiky boy. <laughs> yep, he is very much a spiky, a spiky boy. boy. He's a very good spiky boy, and we're gonna learn a lot about him, hopefully, in this game. <laughs> so I don't know about you guys, but when I first played years ago, I actually couldn't be—I was too nervous about choices. So I looked it up, and I was right at the time that like taking shield and refusing sword, I think, was supposed to be the, the easiest beginner option. So of course, I went with that. Never really tr- always at that time. My life was always very much trusting other advice. Mm-hmm. I didn't look up anything, so I I I always like being a glass cannon. So I took sword and gave up shield, which I understand is actually one of the harder things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on my most recent playthrough, I picked the staff and gave up the shield because on proud mode, the more MP and the better skills is is everything that is way more important than a few extra points of attack because of how much uh proud mode is all about abusing certain skills yeah, that's i managed on me to on that, proud yeah. mode on on take sword give up shield but i believe i remember having to do quite a bit of grinding with it yep sword is one of the harder ones in general just because these a lot of really good skills you do not get until late which is funny because Sword is the one that just most naturally fits what you, what little you might have known with the character, and it even has the same animation in many ways. Yep. So after you pick your weapon and refuse the other, you're pushed up to the next one. Now, this one doesn't have a specific character on it. It has a heart motif and several shaded characters. Now, these 
do have meaning, but would be spoiler to talk about it. What can we say about them? <laughs> I mean, this basically it looks like kind of looks like generic princess characters, but it does seem to represent specific characters that you mm-hmm. may meet or not meet in the game. Right. And at this point, suddenly you're warped to another region entirely. And if you are a fan of Final Fantasy before this, you might recognize who you meet. You meet little kid versions of Titus, Waka, and Selfie. Two characters from FF10 and one from FF8 for an interesting mix. Um, and they are asking you some deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> like they're asking you, what's what, what do you want? Do you want power? Do you want friendship? Like, like, what would you do if things were doomed? I think I kind of like these these type of personality t- quiz questions, but I also mm-hmm. like the ability to override them mm-hmm. with the choice. Like, uh, you know, this is a different game, but Pokemon Mystery Dungeon does these to determine what Pokemon you are. Okay. And I'm always very dissatisfied with them because I want to just pick which Pokemon I am. <laughs> you you want to know what you're going to get. Yeah. But, so, Selfie asks, what's most important to you? And To crush my enemies, see them broken before me, and to hear the lamentation of their women. Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, where did you get here? I mean, I guess that's equivalent to being number one, which is what I picked. <laughs> <laughs> what are the air choices? Uh, I do not remember. Yeah, I did not write, write those them down, down either, I'm afraid. They're, they're generally, you know, like, kind of those personality quiz questions, yeah. which I, I do like, but I don't really like them in terms of multiple choice type things. I kind mm-hmm. of like them in terms of discussion prompts. Sure. So Titus asks, what are you afraid of? To which I, I responded, getting old. <laughs> well, that's more of a mortal fear I don't want to think about, but I am afraid of spiders. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have an option for anything I'm actually scared of, so instead, getting old. <laughs> M- mortality is... is scary. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. And then Waka asks, that, what do you want out of life? And to which I responded to be strong. So what are all these questions actually doing? Well, next, after you're finished, you're given us a message of how your journey will begin. Like, it will say something on the line of first one's like, your journey begins at dawn, you'll have an easy time. Or your journey begins at midnight, it'll be tough to start, but you'll see the light eventually. And what this is, is probably not really easy to guess unless you know, but what it is, is telling you how you're going to level throughout the game. The, there's a lot of game design trickery going on behind the scenes of this personality test. And it's essentially giving you a different experience, essentially based on who you are. But if you are a min-maxer, you probably actually will uh, not answer the questions based on your personality, but based on what, what will give you, you the best experience curve. If you start at midnight, it means you're going to have a slow start to the game. But once you get past a, a pretty high level, it speeds up. And the really nice thing is the game lets you pick again, which is really amusing because I just checked. And one of TS's answers is you're afraid of being indecisive. So I feel like <laughs> <laughs> you can't you shouldn't be allowed to answer that one if you go for a second try. What do you say? Uh, it's interesting because I believe in later games, they keep some of these ideas, but they don't keep all of them. Yeah. I think the EXP pro- is- progression thing gets the axe starting with Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts and- 1, I, I think you are right. I believe you, John has mentioned in the past that Kingdom Hearts is very much a prototype of a game mm-hmm. rather than a completely planned out game. Yeah. Just to enrage any Gem 1ers, much like how Pokemon Red was a very much unplanned first mm-hmm. draft of a game. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I can understand having a lot of nostalgia for Pokemon Red and Blue and also for Kingdom Hearts. But returning to Kingdom Hearts is very difficult nowadays, especially if you've played the later games and you realize, oh, wait, this game controls very stiffly. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things that that I have about backlogs. It's because I tend to have an order for backlogs and I try not to play newer games in a series uh, before older games simply because I'm afraid that I'm going to get spoiled by the iterative design oh, yeah. uh, improvements 
and that I'm going to have a very difficult time appreciating the older games. Uh-huh. It doesn't even take much. I I really can't play Persona 3 normal mode anymore because I'm too spoiled of 4 and 5 when you actually control your party members. 3's AI party members is too enraging. Mm-hmm. Even that's a much smaller divide than some of these are. Mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts 1, the combat is a lot slower than later Kingdom Hearts games. Uh, Sora's animations aren't as fluid. It, in general, Less trick moves. Less trick moves. There's more focus on platforming, but the platforming isn't well implemented. <laughs> There's and more or less. There's just kind of less to do in Kingdom Hearts One as far as combat goes. Yeah. It's very much you hit things with your Keyblade, you use your magic, but beyond that, there's not very much. Whereas in later games, they start giving you little mini games to play during combat that will give you bonuses, uh, or they'll let you change your form. There's so much in the later Kingdom Hearts games that it's pretty clear could only come because Kingdom Hearts One was what it was. It's a very iterative design approach that they have with these sorts of games, mm-hmm. and you see that in all series, but especially mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts. It may, you can go through it, and it just makes such a huge difference to see. You know, and especially they use the portable games and the non-mainline games like 358 over two days, Birth by Sleep, uh, Chain of Memories to kind of test out elements that they're thinking of bringing into the mainline games. Mm -hmm. And then they just the mainline games, the, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3 and stuff like that tend to be a best of world tour of all the mechanics that they explored in the portables. Yep. So you're saying the reason Kingdom Hearts 1 is suffering is it didn't have any test beds in front of it. We didn't start with Kingdom Hearts. Guess what's coming next? For all all the grief I'm going to give the first Kingdom Hearts because it's a bit of a mess, I still adore what came out of this. It's a very – it's a beautiful mess. (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful mess. That's the best term for it. Well, speaking of combat, after we leave the kind of the – we didn't mention that the three characters are sitting in kind of this weird half-formed treehouse world. Like if you yeah. look past it to the, to, the, to the horizon, it's kind of strange and dark. Mm-hmm. But after you go that, we go up to the next, the next zone just to keep a track of our stained glass watcher. Next, we have Aurora from Sleeping Beauty surrounded by roses and thorns. No hair imagery from that. Mm-hmm. And now we have our first combat. Yep. We start to fight shadows, which are the iconic small heartless that are one of the best designs for a basic monster in video games. Would you call them the Goombas of this of this game? Oh, easily. Um, I, I would more compare them to slimes, honestly, from True. Dragon Quest. They are they are about as iconic as slimes. Yeah. How would you describe one? Like someone asked you to describe one in twenty words or less. Little ant guys with very big heads. Yes, yeah, glowing so eyes, the, no the face. The ant is kind of what I was thinking too, because they have the silhouettes, but they also have the kind of like weird antennas, and they're yeah. kind of like crouched over. Mm-hmm. Like, so they have no faces on their bulbous heads. They have little yellow glowing eyes. They're very basic in combat, but they still have a unique trick where they will dive underground and pop up in another place. I mean, yeah, they, they don't vanish either. either. They kind of like, they literally turn into a shadow. Like they flatten out across the ground and scurry across it. Yeah, like they, whatever you think of like the gameplay of that, which sometimes can be kind of frustrating because you're like, I'm hitting it, aren't I? But it's a very cool look, and it makes them a bit more interesting than if they were just various punching bags. And well, never, yeah, because it, unlike kind of most it, shadows, they unlike most heartless, they don't pop. They don't like pop out of spawning forms. They literally just sort of form up out of the ground. Like, oh yeah, you'll see their you'll see their silhouettes appear, and then they just fill out and form, fill out into the 3D, and they jump you. Like it they, also very physically communicates the fact that they're kind of made out of shadow. They're not physical creatures in mm-hmm. the, the same way like some of the other enemies in the game are. Mm-hmm. 
And not to mention, let's talk about what the music does at this point, because the same themes are playing throughout, but now it kicks into a new gear, like it kicks into its combat form. You beat up the little shadowy guys who maybe just wanted to be your friend. Oh, no, wait, they're attacking. Yep. After you fight a bunch of them, you end up on top of another stained glass with Belle from Beauty and the Beast. At that point, a message comes. The voice has been talking to you, tells you that the closer you get to light, the deeper the shadow. And then your own shadow behind you is stretching out across the platform, and it just grows into this massive, weirdly hairy being. The iconic big heartless of Kingdom Hearts, the dark side. The dark side. side. In keeping on our enemy talk here, where it's a huge hulking being with oddly thin legs. He skipped leg day. Mm-hmm. He's got a, like a, like for people who were fans of Bleach, much like with Hollows, there's a big gaping hole in the center. Only it's shaped like a heart rather than just a circle. But it's kind of got the same meaning mm-hmm. if you think about it. Yeah, and he's got the kind of bandit cowl thing going on too. Oh yeah, it kind of feels like it's made up. of his huge tentacly hair. Seems to be part of that. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, then you have your first boss fight. Yeah. It's pretty easy, even on Proud Boat. So he, let's not talk just... about the fact that when I replayed, I lost to him. <laughs> <laughs> I was practicing well, reflecting things. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing to practice. You're going to do that a lot in this game. Yeah, but you know yep. how far back that knocks you in that little thing to save points, like two pedestals back. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of talking go through again. He has beams he shoots at you that you can knock back like you're playing tennis. He slams down the ground and pulls up, seems to pull out more shadows to fight you. And once you beat him, you Sora wakes up and Is he consumed by shadow first? Yeah, I guess so. He's he's consumed by shadow, your typical nightmare shock ending. And you wake up so on an island is, and everything's fine. <laughs> so what what does it mean that that you're fighting these shadows and dark sides in the dive to the heart? Is it they kind of doing a thing where self reflection involves fighting off your own dark side? That could you know, be it. They, um, I'm willing to bet that there was a big list of here's things this could mean on the first game, and that was on the list. And I'm betting as we go on, they decided to just you know, refine that a bit, but I could easily yeah. see that. <laughs> well, um, Sora is always sort of like grappling with uh, his own inner demons is the best way I have to put it. We don't get much introspection from him, but this is one of the few times where we do, and it seems like there is some anxiety there. About now the question is being asked, do I fear being old? Do I fear being yeah. indecisive? Do I worry about my friends? Like, those yeah. are the questions being pu- pushed to him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they... It, it definitely gives the image of someone who is internally very anxious. So that's why it's such a shock, and we just go ahead and we find ourselves on our new environment of Destiny Islands. Mm-hmm. The kids that are on this island all live on another island, but and they come to this island to play adventures. Though, though I will say, there's only a couple lines really saying that, so it's blinking, you miss it, and you sometimes, yeah. as if you if you weren't paying attention, you might think you got about six kids living on this little Robinson Crusoe shipwreck island. Yeah. So, question: Do they take a a boat here? I forget, or is it? Do they can, can they just swim or like walk across on a sandbar, or what do they do? Because no we're building a raft, I'm not sure how they get there. <laughs> I mean, there's a ferry or something. Mm-hmm. My guess is that it's either they walk across on a sandbar or it's a ferry. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, it, I could see it being like a ferry type thing where, like, oh, their parents drop them off there. Just like, hey, drop the kids off on the island to play for summer vacation so that we can just get them out of the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they do, they do actually mention summer vacation ending soon, don't they? I think mm-hmm. so. And it definitely feels like that youthful melodrama that you would expect from the last week of summer vacation on this island. 
I yeah, mean, it's it very, very much, much what feels Nomura himself yeah. very always put it out there for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it very much feels like that sort of thing. It feels like that kind of shonen. Basically, these are kids coming of age and they're kind of butting heads with each other a little bit, but they're still friends. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Let's talk about the kids, actually. Like, well, let's talk. But we're on this island. It's kind of this, this, you know, this this beach paradise filled with what looks like built up driftwood houses there. And what can kids do on an island like this? Um, they, well, they hang out. They build grass for vague reasons. They engage in various play fights for whatever their chosen weapon is. What and what is on this island? There's. I mean, not to be too formulaic. I'll just talk about it. It's, it's a really nice setting. Like it's it's yeah. simple. It's very much the idyllic setting. It's got a lot of different stuff on it. Like I said, the houses. There's, there's buildings there. Some are like just ramshackle shacks on the side, doors put up against caves, but you also got these built-up treehouse looks. They kind of look like they've just been slowly put together yeah. of whatever was and available. And you've got, like, rope bridges and stuff like that. Maybe, like, maybe like uh, all the kids in wherever they're from have been, like, building up this island over a long period of time. That's kind of the impression I get, too. You see one of the woods, Ryan, but that's just kind of a morbid view. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a sudden end to this game. And, but, it, it, like... There's also just a cave on the island full of little uh, uh, carvings in it. Chalk drawings. Chalk some drawing. look like there. That's another thing. Was like this has been going on a long time. Yep. It's it feels lived on in a weird way. That, I mean, there's a there's a what looks like an improv, improvised like fallen log bridge to this one tiny little island with a fruit tree on it. It's perfect for brooding, which we'll see in a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a very small world and. We don't even get to see where the uh, much of where the kids actually live. It, the f- impression that we are given is that this single island is where these kids live, and they are wondering what else is out there. I said we'll see a little bit in a moment, but don't don't like strain your eyes. It's not going to give you a lot of information. Right. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that that really struck me that we we've discussed a little bit before, but it struck me that the kids all feel that their world is very, very small. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason we don't see their life off this island is because of the fact that they're trying to emphasize the fact that their world feels very small to them, and they're trying to escape that little world. Yeah, and that's what the raft is as well. It's an attempt to go out and see new things. Well, again, but speaking of the wrath and the kids, let's just talk about our heroes. Now, I was taking a lot of notes throughout my most recent play, so I'm referencing them. Mm-hmm. And just look, let's talk about hero Sora. First thing I mentioned is it's kind of limitations of not having multiple outfits, but I always think when I'm going to play on a beach, I'm going to wear heavy jeans, <laughs> uh, coat over my shirt, and also the biggest, I call them clodhopper boots you can find. <laughs> but, and, well, Sora's design is... One, I think, fantastic, but um, he is basically what would happen if you put a Final Fantasy character in a Disney outfit. So it took me years and years to realize, but during my recent series replaythrough, I realized that Sora's outfit uh, for Kingdom Hearts 1 is explicitly a Mickey Mouse outfit, but worn by a human. Yeah. Well, let's talk it over a bit. Basically, well, he's wearing, like said, more human uh, um, Final Fantasy-like 
heavy layered clothes in that. He's wearing, as I said, big shoes, big yellowish shoes that definitely make you mind of Mickey as well as the gloves. And his design is that too. He's got he's got big hands and feet, thinner arms. His head's a bit big for size. So the hair's poofing it out. And when he walks, if you don't have him run but walk, he swings his arms and just sort of kicks his feet on front of him. Believe me, the second you see that, you're going to think one of those old 30s cartoons. Yeah. I mean, it makes him very distinct from your typical JRPG character because he does look like a Western cartoon with an anime design. <laughs> those flared shorts are what did it for me with the Mickey design. I mm-hmm. realized suddenly that, oh, that's Mickey's overalls. Yep. He hangs out with a typical RPG Final Fantasy character to compare with, with Riku. And Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> Kyrie's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we, yeah. Who do we want to talk about first, Riku or Kyrie? I think Kyrie is well, the first one we meet. So Yeah. Basically, listen, we already got Sora. We talked about him, but that he's just he's this positive sort. He shakes off his weird existential dream right away and just goes right back to, yeah, we were making a raft for fun. Mm-hmm. They meet Kyrie. Kyrie, you know, not to uh, play a tokenism there, but he almost he kind of feel like she was originally designed as we need the girl character. Now, she's more than that, but that does feel like that's where the design notes started. Mm-hmm. Nomura loves trios of kids, and it usually tends to seem to be uh, two guys and a girl. Uh, it's that's at least the trio types format that we're going to continue to see throughout Kingdom Hearts. I love Nomura and I love his his writing and his ideas, but sometimes he doesn't he he doesn't quite get the gender issues. Sometimes he does not. <laughs> I um, mean, basically, Kyrie's kind of a strange character, especially in this game. They mentioned briefly that unlike Sora and Riku, apparently Kyrie's not from this area. She showed up some time ago. I don't know if they implied she had no memory or anything, but she was like basically got an orphan that was brought in. But her immediate thought is, let's go other places. And that seems to be like, I almost get the impression she's been the one, because you find out that these two and their third friend have been building a raft because they want to go somewhere else. Because, you know, building a makeshift raft and sailing across the ocean is the best idea. But it almost feels like she's been the driving impetus behind it, the force pushing it forward. Yeah. Uh, It's her raft and more or less Sora and uh, Riku are kind of just sort of like being guys (laughs) about it all. Though Riku yeah. definitely has his own little eye uh, session. His is less seeing things. Well, let's talk about Riku. I joked that he's the Final Fantasy character, and believe me, his design kind of picks it out there. He's got your he's got your your slightly shaggy silver hair. He sits as the rival. He's wearing was like black and and yellow. You'd say his colors are. Yeah, Riku he, definitely has the the. Bakugo superiority complex going on, I think. He's wearing yellow with black highlights and jeans I would describe as almost like pair, like flares, only they've been tied down in the middle, and he's wearing much sleeker shoes. He's the only one that looks almost adult age in this group of kids. And it my, my impression... Like- yeah, my impression is that he's maybe like a year or two older than all the other kids. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, he looks several years older, but he's probably just a couple years older at best. And it's hard to tell. The, they are about. They are almost the same height. Yeah. And there, there's definitely an element there going on where, where you know, Sora is the. We 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 mentioned that Sora is kind of like the positive. He's a little bit self-deprecating, but he's still competitive, and he but he mostly just likes hanging out with his friends. Mm-hmm. Whereas Riku kind of has this thing going. They they both like Kairi, and Probably. they seem to be comp- competing among themselves over it and Riku is is very is privately really salty that it seems that Kairi likes Sora better or almost the same as as she likes him even mm-hmm. though he's clearly you know the lead guy the lead mm-hmm. kid 
Well, let's circle back around. First of all, I looked it up, and it looks like Riku's 15 while Sora's 14 in the okay. first game. Okay. And if you call, it says Sora's self-depreciating. That's not quite right. He never really says anything directly bad about himself, but he elevates others above him. Like, he talks okay. automatically assuming Riku is the uh, greater one there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah he never says, right like, I'm that. nothing. He just says Riku is more. So it's, yeah, it's, he, it's yeah. subtle. He really looks up to Riku, and, like, you talk about flirting on the island. Sometimes I got the impression that Sora it might be more into Riku than Kyrie. But oh, oh, there's definitely that. I I think that you know the the Sora the Sora and Riku ship is very popular, and it's for a reason. But I mm-hmm. I do think that you know throughout the Kingdom Hearts series, there's you know Good I Lord. guess minor spoiler, uh, but you know a lot of it is about Sora trying to reunite with Riku. Out mm-hmm. in the aftermath of all of this, yeah, and sometimes and, it feels like with Riku and Kyrie. Sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, believe me. Well, well, as when I first played this, I, my mind wasn't always the best at picking out that implication. There, mm-hmm. I can assure you, John, that you were nowhere near the only one who thinks that. And yeah. there's just quite a lot of that everywhere. <laughs> yep. If you were to tell me that's the most popular sh- ship in Kingdom Hearts, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's probably yeah. not, actually. I bet you the most popular ship is Axel Roxas, but... <laughs> well, we're way ahead there. I kind of like to go into a uh, uh, view there, because I kind of have something to say on that, and I think I might make myself the Doom one here. Because basically, when you look at the main characters, you know, Sora, he's reasonably optimistic, maybe a little non-self-focused there, so a little bit too willing to push towards others, and not always the most introspective. Mm-hmm. Kyrie is positive, kind of seems to be playing peacemaker sometimes, he's too, but the thing is... In Kena Hearts 1, I do not like Riku. Mm-hmm. I can see <laughs> Even that. before things that happen later in the game, he kind of strikes me as a prat. He is very subtly putting down the Sora. Like, um, you mm-hmm. can do play fights with multiple characters. When you play Riku, he kind of always makes sure, like, if they keep track of your win loss record. And if he's ahead in your win loss, he's always making sure you know it. Yep. And he oh. kind of takes every chance he can to play games with Sora's head. I totally agree with you, and that, that's why I said that Riku has that Bakugo superiority complex going on, because... Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's, like I said, there's, this is definitely something we want to keep on now. I just kind of want to focus mm-hmm. on the version that we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can count three separate instances where he placed himself in a position, mm-hmm. at least, where he wants to prove himself superior against Sora, just so he shows that his way is the right way. Yep. Um, there's the naming of the ship... Include the, and then there's the then there's the race for the fruit and also as I mentioned what's happening with the fights. Yeah, there's all things that, where Riku definitely wants to make sure he's better. Like he's not being particularly cruel or aggressive in a way that would make me say, "Why are you hanging out with him?" It's just this. It's weirdly very unappealing streak. It weirdly competitive is the way I'd put it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. and yeah, he he definitely has this thing where he he wants it to be known that he's the more or less the leader of the boys. He's the strongest. He's the fastest. He's yep. the coolest. Yep. What's kind of funny though, because we have three other characters here. Tidus, Walk, and Selfie have returned in full version now, no longer being weird mystics, but just kids there. And they don't really do more than just acknowledge that Riku and Kairi exist. They are. And honestly, like, the initial impression that I get of why they're here is to reassure everyone who picked up this game that don't worry, there's also Final Fantasy in your Disney game. <laughs> <laughs> they originally had a need for three extra friends and they didn't want to make new characters for them, right, Jared? I kind of get different information here. They're supposedly 
early in drafting after the first draft, which was almost purely Disney was rejected, they started using Final Fantasy characters as a placeholder, and then they kept them. But I can't really confirm this. Like, supposedly they're placeholders that they kept. Okay. But I, 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 well, I'm happy to say that's something I've heard. I can't like say with 100%. That's definitely what happens. But the thing that you'll actually quickly realize if you start talking to them and doing your play fights is that they're actually the real combat tutorial of the game. This is something that I love about the first Kingdom Hearts is that all the play fighting you do on the island teaches you a lot about how to play Kingdom Hearts well. Well, basically, each of the characters are playing using toy kid version of their weapons. I think I read there was one or two other characters that were rejected because they couldn't think of a good version. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look in that layer. Well, like, like, it's pretty easy to have a wooden stick as a weapon for Titus because... He uh, wears a sword. Yeah, he has a sword, and also Sora and Riku also already have wooden swords. So that's fine. Now, Selfie, who used the whip in Final Fantasy VIII, they gave her a jump rope, and that's a little no, bit wicked for a kid Quistus, to use. Quistus is the one that used the whip in Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, Selfie used uh, nunchucks. Frank. <laughs> I, no, I usually pride myself remembering this trivia. You are, you are kicking my butt today. Uh, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm currently listening to another podcast that's playing Final Fantasy VIII right now, so. <laughs> hey, that, no name dropping for cheap views. I don't know. You might want to. That could be fun. We'll <laughs> talk about that later. <laughs> If you've come here because we put out an ad on this podcast, hi, welcome. Glad to have you here. Hope we're hoping to be nearly as entertaining as that podcast. Hooray, we invested ad money. Well, but, anyways, now that you schooled me there, so it's still a similar enough weapon. I guess it works. And, and then, you know, Waka, who kicks a ball in people's faces while well, he's still doing that. Yep. And so that means that Titus is your tutorial for fighting melee enemies. Selfie is your tutorial for fighting uh, mid-range enemies that have slightly longer reach than you do. And Waka is your uh, tutorial for fighting ranged enemies who have an attack that's way, way out of reach. And what you learn when you're fighting them is against a mid-range character, you have a lot more room to deflect their attacks. Um, You tend to get into clashes a lot more against a close-range fighter, and you can deflect Waka's attacks to knock them back into him and get decent damage that way. It also it also stuns him, so it really yeah. is that impetus for it. Yep, uh, and eventually you can even fight all three of them at once, which uh, I recommend doing if it's your first time playing until you actually can beat them, because one that actually will get you a lot of exp just uh, failing at it for a while, but also it does get you used to okay, I can deflect these attacks, I can fight these people. Like, there's a lot of interesting things you can learn just by fighting these three characters. It's I think it's a really good diegetic tutorial, if you will. Something that kind of bugs me is when video, when RPGs break the fourth wall to explain the game systems to you. <laughs> and Kingdom Hearts is kind of good about not doing that. So <laughs> it doesn't it, it doesn't explain to you what your choices at the beginning of the game mean. It just makes you lets you make them and has your experience be dictated by that without telling you what you did, which I think is kind of nice. It's kind of cool that they have the confidence to be able to do that. And after you do all that, you can go out to the Brooding Island and fight Riku. Yep. Riku is a harder version of Titus, is essentially what it comes down to. He has a lot more tricky combat tactics. He will faint being... Uh, he will knocked, faint... Knocked down or knock, being stunned. Being knocked down and then do a little jump kick that'll really wreck your day. He, I think... Taunts you as someone with some away. wrestling fan things, I kind of wrote it as he does a kip-up. <sighs> oh, explain this. I a kip-up is basically seen in wrestling where someone's knocked to the ground. Rather than just like pulling themselves standing up, they lift their legs and sort of do that jumping kick up into the air. Okay. And that's what Riku does, only he kind of springs at you with it. So if you ever and see someone like, kind of like lift their legs and just sort of hop up into a standing position, that's a kip-up. <laughs> yep. 
And if you're not used to the game yet, that probably will be the reason why you lose this fight a lot. Because <laughs> you, you run up to him and he just and you have boots in your face. Yep. That. <laughs> he is a lot tougher than even the trio all at once. And because uh, the game wants to push you in it, that's when he starts. He's, he reads your win loss record at you, so you can just yep. keep trying to get ahead of him. Yep. Of course, <laughs> the funny thing could, is, if you could be get like ahead of him, he my, sulks. Yep. You could be like me on my first uh, or on my most recent playthrough. I'm like, I will win on my first time, and then I'll not fight him again. So I'll always have a winning record. That's the way to do it. He's still then, a good amount of exp. Mm-hmm. So if you want to fight him over and over again, he's a decent enough way to get a few early skills. So after you kind of do everything you want to on the island, you can sit down with the other characters. They have a brief conversation about the Paupu fruit, mm-hmm. which is this star-shaped fruit that's on the brooding island and apparently has a little legend that two people eat them together. They'll be, t- they'll be together forever, is it? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Like it, it sounds like kids trading urban legends. Just it's a cute it's or just a cute little uh, yeah. myth of the area. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it's another thing that feels very last week of summer vacation. Uh, just the idea of the Palpa fruit feels like summer vacation. And just keep vacation go. We switch over to a cartoon. Yep. This out of nowhere. Hmm. Suddenly we're at the Disney castle. And who do we see but Donald Duck? And is am I right that the Mickey Mouse Club theme is playing when you're going through the scene? Basically, there's a Piper playing just the main line of it, and it keeps repeating. So yep. you will go mad. Yep. Yeah, it's the Mickey Mouse. Uh, it is the Mickey Mouse Club melody. Mm-hmm. So you've got we've gone from this weird island with a bunch of Final Fantasy kids and all of a sudden Disney. And remember, before this, all the Disney imagery we have were of humanoid princesses, Cinderella, Belle, Snow White. And now we have the pantsless duck of legend. Yep. Donald. <laughs> and all his wizard regalia. Yep. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> well, he's I said he's kind of wearing, you know, he's kind of wearing a, a sorcerer apprentice looking hat. He's got his, his fancy robe look outfit there. Mm-hmm. And he's just humming along, going out to meet his king. And if we had any question, the king was you aren't paying attention to Disney. Yep. Yeah. And later on in the later on in the series, they they start kind of bringing in the whole thing with Fantasia in. So the 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 lore seems to be that Donald learned uh, sorcery from the from sorcerer. Mickey and and the whole uh, the the uh, yeah. sorcerer from Fantasia as well. And Mickey learned from him as well. Yep. I mean, we'll talk a lot about Yensid because Yensid is one of the most interesting canon additions in all of Kingdom Hearts. But I love that that name existed before before Kingdom Hearts. But anyways, it's, it's the most Kingdom Hearts name that ever existed outside of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. I mean, we're, 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 it's very much so. Anyways, we're in we're in the Disney World now because now we have you know Donald. He's self assured. He's walking along. He's going up to great big doors like the big massive throne room doors. He reaches a knock. And he opens a small side door in the middle. The door goes in. Classic gag. <laughs> Into this huge room where he's just talking. I, does anyone here want to try to do a Donald Duck voice? Because I sure as hell am not. Uh, I cannot do that. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, I hate to tell you that. I mean, if I were to describe it as a character, uh, I have one in mind, but I lost it. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, no. Donald's voice is fascinating to me, and anyone who can do it gets major props because yeah, how do you do that to your vo- vocal cords? What are you well, doing? Let's your take secret? a Let's take a moment to go into what I like to call Disney trivia. Yeah! Donald Duck has had the same voice since the mid-90s. The, the voice of Donald Duck is a man named Tony Anselmo. He actually, I'm probably saying his name wrong, I feel bad about this, he's been doing it since, since 1985 to be precise. The original voice, Clarence Nash 
was someone Anselmo worked for, and he kind of like supposedly it seemed like for fun he was showing Anselmo the voice. Anselmo didn't realize he was being trained to take over the role. <laughs> He first appeared in the role. One of the first places you'll see him was he was in, he appeared in a in some Disney specials in this in the eighties. Then he appeared shortly in Ducktales. Now the original eighties Ducktales, Donald doesn't appear much. That's because Tony wasn't trust that all that trusting of the role he was in yet. So he kind of actually asked me to emphasize, and he's been voicing him up to this day, including the newest Ducktales. Um, so we're talking. This is this is a role. This is a skill with you had to be an apprentice for. Mm-hmm. Wow. I kind of want to touch on there. Like, uh, is he also the voice of the uh, nephews in the original DuckTales as well? No. In the original DuckTales, the nephews were voiced by uh, Russie Taylor. She died recently. Oh, no. She, she actually, for a bit of a gag, she replayed young Donald and young Della in a time travel episode recently. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of something else you'd know Russie Taylor for. She was Minnie Mouse for 30 years as well and did a lot of kind of – she kind of appeared in a lot of that. She also – was she Minnie Mouse in Kingdom Hearts as well? I believe the answer to that is yes, because she only died in 2019. Okay. So that's so no, that was a completely different. If you, if you listen, if you listen to the old DuckTales, you can see there's a very different style of voice, and they are a lot more understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that way, so basically, D- D- Donald's gone in to see his king, and he's talking for about 15 seconds. You've ever noticed the room's empty with a dog sitting behind the throne? Yep, that'd be Pluto. <laughs> Pluto, the dog of question, yeah. but <laughs> not the other dog. Who is uh, much more vocal? Ah, yes. So now the dog who is a dog, not the dog who is a person. So speaking of, here's here's our our buddy Goofy, who of course is sleeping contently till he gets smacked on the head. Now, quick question: Is Goofy the best character in Disney? Well, he is very much up there. I actually like the full version of Donald. Kingdom Hearts does him a little dirty, I think. Mm -hmm. Like the new, I'm going to keep mentioning new Ducktales. I'm a fan of that. That really is just one of the right versions of the character. Let's go into Goofy because I have a bit of a challenge for you guys. Okay. Do you know what Goofy's full name is? I do not. Can you give me multiple choices? <laughs> yes. Is his name? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you five choices. Oh boy. Is his name GG Goofy Goof Dippy Dog George G Geef Goofus D Dog or Goofy G Goof? I'm going to say F all of the above. Damn it. He got me on that. <laughs> Those have all truly been names of Goofy. He was originally Dippy Dog as one of the characters in the old Mary Melodies thing. In the 50s, he did a lot of things. He did a lot of like Goofy does hockey. Goofy does um, rock climbing where like he would – that would be, he was really in a slapstick term where like a narrator would destroy him. He was often George G. Geef. In DuckTales, he was GG Goofy Goof. And in recent comics, he's been Goofus D. Dog and Goofy G. Goof went there too. So yes, he is the man of many names, and I'm so <laughs> and, mad that I that you got that perfectly. And he is also the captain of the guard, I guess. Well, yes. about, that makes about as much sense as anything. I mean, don't we? Isn't he kind of in roaming gear? <laughs> he is in some kind of armor in the castle. Yeah, he I, he kind of like wears like uh, he has like the. The JRPG-ish look almost with pauldris, pauldrons and a gambeson, but not much like chest armor. Yeah. I thought he had like the brush helmets or whatever that's called. Is that the gambeson? Yeah. Is? No, a gambeson is, you know, like the the thing that you wear over top of like male armor. Mm. Mm. You're beating me in the names here. I've seen that term in things, but you, I'm afraid you're losing me. <laughs> So gotcha. I shall bow to you. I shall bow to you, expert of armor. <laughs> I, I I was really into like uh, medieval armor and weapons when I was a kid, so I still retain some of that trivia. 
Nice. So Goofy gets waken up by Donald, who's showing, Daisy's saying a letter. Now he's telling immediately keep secret. So of course you turn around and, you know, Daisy and Minnie are there. Yep. Yeah. Keep it a secret from Daisy and Minnie? Yeah, of course. So. Absolutely. Don't tell them. And then Goofy's just like, hey, Daisy and Minnie. <laughs> I mean, I buy the everything, like, hey, everything from, is just Oh, your perfect. majesty. It's like, your majesty. Yeah, we got to keep a secret from her. Yep. I, by the way, I looked up Goofy's outfit. He's wearing a full knight's helmet as a hat. Like, it has yep. the whole beak head there. Yep. Yeah. The, what, he's got the one arm armor. Like, he's going to be sword fighting with that arm presenting. But he is a shield user, so that makes sense. Like, they weren't. I remember reading that they weren't allowed to give Goofy a sword, so they gave him a shield instead as his weapon. Well, it just seems wrong otherwise. Yep. And speaking like, of just I, I, wrong, what's wrong? What is with Minnie? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Minnie's proportions are insane to this. She she has a gigantic <laughs> head that, that sits on top of a normal-looking body that you can't see her legs because it's covered by a, like a princess skirt there. She looks like she's a mascot character with the huge costume head. And she's the <laughs> only character that looks like that. I mean, they're not... they might not have put that much attention into her character model because she's used for this one scene in this game. She appears briefly again in the next scene, I think, but I get your point. Like, yeah, I think she has has more screen time in some of the other later games. Yes. Like, she probably has the most screen time in Birth by Sleep because you actually go to a world that involves her. But, oh, and also... Uh, she has a good chunk in two. Yeah, she has a good chunk in two as well. But by the way, it's funny because he's actually wearing a hat that looks like he has like a blade top for his helmet there. So I don't know about that lack of sword, Goofy. No, I think it was just Disney didn't want him to have a sword. No, that's fair. And you think about it, this is probably a minute, two minutes, and now the scene's over and we're back to Destiny Island. So yep. I hope you were you're you're hanging on to your the seat well. Yeah. Yeah, in this case it's you know how you said that Titus Walk on selfie where don't worry, this also has Final Fantasy in it. Yeah. Uh I think that scene is don't worry, there actually is Disney in it. We just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. It's like, quite a, and, and, this, and like if if it's your first time playing these games, you're kinda like either like, yeah, Final Fantasy or yeah, Disney. But like now coming back to it, I'm like, but I want Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> That that's well, one of the things here. that we haven't actually gotten gotten into yet. But it's yeah. it's kind of funny how Kingdom Hearts has been a story of it's a Disney Final Fantasy crossover, but it evolved into its own thing that is not quite either. And now <laughs> almost everybody appreciates it for the syncretism of all of these things that but mm-hmm. somehow still being its own thing. Yep. Well, that's definitely what we want them to do is appreciate it, and that's part of our goal. Yeah. So like- yeah, go ahead. Right. Sorry. No, I was about to say, when we back on Destiny Islands, this time the first day was kind of very mechanic heavy, like you're playing around with things. This one, you're kind of doing a lot of little story adventures. Like there, you're being told to pick up supplies for the raft, and then there's this little race sequence. Like, how would you describe that? You have to hop along trees to get to a point at the other end of the island, then race back. Right. Now, not just, it is not just that there's annoyingly rock hard. It is and the thing is, and yeah. Riku and like basically, Kyrie asked you guys not to make it a race, so you immediately make it a race. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about how you're going to name the ship after it, but then, but then, like I said, Riku goes into one of his, he gets into a shit. I'm going to say because <laughs> he says, you know what? I also want to do the fruit thing with Kyrie. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I made this sound way creepier than it was, though it is a little creepy. Mm-hmm. Even well, that, that's it. exactly what I was was saying earlier that Riku kind of doesn't realize 
a lot of things, but he, he kind of ends up having this thing where he's like, I'm better than Sora. I'm cooler than Sora. Why does Kyrie like Sora? Mm-hmm. You and know what I, I mean? mean? Riku, unless you're really good at this game, Riku's going to win. I have never beaten him. It is unfortunately a symptom of the fact that the platforming in this game is not very good, that this race is very, very hard, even if you've played it before. So at the end, he gets to just tell you, yeah, I was just messing with you. Stop whining, nerd. Okay, I'm way, <laughs> I am way overplaying that, but I give. That's what it feels like, it. right? Yeah. I said, anyone who's complained, believe me, nothing that's actually said, but it starts to feel that bad. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we Riku definitely that. plays it off like he's too cool for it. Yeah. So naturally, Sora stomps off to the to the chalk drawing land. Well, you're still doing your fetch quest, but you end up in that cave anyways. Mm-hmm. He sees a little picture. I think of just his both his and Kyrie's faces. Uh-huh. And he uh, adds a little hand giving a pau pau fruit to Kyrie. Correct. I mean, I thought it was just a star in general, but it could also be that either because it kind of has a swoop, like it's a little bit like a shooting star. Yeah, it, it's a pretty neat little bit of artistry. <laughs> Which, you know, is interrupted by a weird guy in a brown cloak who's there yeah. to tell you, don't worry, this is definitely Kingdom Hearts for people who know the later games. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, when, if, it, if, you are not, if you have not played this game before, you're just kind of like, okay, weird. that was odd. Was this guy? Yeah. If you've played later games, you're like, oh, okay, great. first, how does this make sense? But holy crap, it's Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I mean, he just goes on. It's like. This world has been connected. A path has been opened to it, and now things will happen. Big things, spooky things, so yep. many things. And then he's gone, and Sora's like, that, that was okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, like, and it also connects back to the whole raft thing because they're they're all trying to to get to another world through this raft, oh, more yeah. or less. And, and it is and this guy shows up, and he's like, like there's a this world has door been connected. Mm-hmm. It is worth noting there's a big blank door just sitting in the wall of this cave. Yep. No one I have mentions no idea it. No one looks at here, it. But <laughs> there's a door here. That brown cloak. Does he have like chains around his cloak or something? No, I think uh, he just has a brown cloak in this one. He doesn't even look like what you'd think he'd look like from later games. He just looks like a guy in a brown cloak. Oh, I see. He, he actually has sort of like a pair of straps over it, which I have like studded studs mm-hmm. on them. So. Yep. Kind of makes an X shape over his over his chest. Yep, Sora meets a weird guy and never mentions it. <laughs> I mean, would Sora you isn't mention the that? type to try to Sora isn't really the type to try to burden everyone else with his problems, is he? He's also not the sort of type to really decide. I need to figure this out. He's nope. sort of like you know things get clear. I'm going to be good, but otherwise I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, I don't not I don't dumb, even worry about but that. not easily worried. <laughs> yeah. And then, like I said, we have another scene of the others, like the three of them talking just randomly. Um, well, I mean, I, they're talking about really wondering about if there's other worlds out there. Which and actually, we skipped a scene. We skipped a scene that was really weird to me. Mm-hmm. I think it happens near the race. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly, like Riku's gone for some reason. Kyrie Tony turns. She goes, "You know, if I asked you to leave Riku behind, we go now. Would you do it? What do you feel that means? That is another last day of summer vacation uh, melodrama moment." And it's one of those things where, you know, Riku definitely picks up on this, that Kairi kind of likes Sora more than yeah. more than she likes him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like he's mad because he likes Kairi. It's almost like he's Maybe he's projecting. mad because he likes Sora. I mean, okay, yes, everyone's always going to say that. I'm not going to say no. But let's be fair. He's not really mad now. We're projecting a bit of what we know later here. It's mm-hmm. just there's that weird feel to it. It's like, yeah. Well, Riku, he I actually don't think never really... says anything that isn't – he never says anything that sounds angry or mm-hmm. openly aggressive. It just seems strong. His word, Riku, like, push. 
Yeah, Riku doesn't really, I don't think, really cares about, like, Kyrie, you know, like liking him in that way. It's more of the principle of, well, I'm better than Sora. Why aren't yeah. I ahead in the list of Sora? Yeah. And he definitely like, has, we, we, or maybe we kind of need the protagonist just, syndrome. Maybe it's not even just being better than Sora specifically. It's being the best, because if I have the best, I, ha- I have that much control. Yeah. Maybe, like, yeah. over, not over others, like, maybe over my life, things like and that. Like, we, we, so, it's like there's, no, there's nothing to indicate that if not for the wonderful aspects of the journey to come, that he wouldn't have just been a normal guy this whole time. He really mm-hmm. might have been. It's just he kind of has some personality he, fault lines. He has a bit of darkness in him, which is sort of like ties into the whole general theming of what Kingdom Hearts is trying to do. And it sort of like builds up this idea of Sora is light and Riku is darkness in this opening act is what I'd say is what's going on here. And, it, and even this game ends up being not quite that simple. And that's right. that's kind of always one of the points favorite things are never. Well, there's plenty of easy dichotomy. It's never fully that simple. Yeah. And also like. Kingdom Hearts doesn't fully like come out and say darkness is bad. Uh, I mean, they kind. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves heavily, but I know they do find ways to show the positive parts of it. Yeah, and that's kind of a thing about how Japanese cultures seem to treat duality and dualism in mythology. Uh, I know it's probably a bit cliche, probably not perfectly tied, but there is the whole the whole image of yin of yin and yang. Yeah, I was uh, just about each to have a piece too. of each other. Yeah. The even going back to other non Final Fantasy media, whenever a Japanese creator picks up a Western idea, it, they'll always end up morphing it a little bit in its in their own interesting way and reflecting the Japanese value. And I think I think and, we we've I think one of the reasons that we as Westerners like Japanese media a lot, like anime and video games is specifically because it's like looking at ourselves in the funhouse mirror sometimes because yeah. they Japanese people Japanese uh, creatives really have this really interesting ability to take western ideas and then do something that westerners almost never would have thought of doing with them. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that that there's definitely a a syncreti- you know the the syncretism of the whole of the whole question of light and dark in Kingdom Hearts because it does seem in in many cases like it's, you know, just like a a full black and white dichotomy, but if you look at it a little bit harder, there's always the question there's always, you know, uh, there's a little bit deeper in there like we just mm-hmm. mentioned that Sora is kind of the the bright kid, the per- the actual protagonist who is who it seems like he's all light, sunshine and happiness. But then we just got done with this thing where he literally got done battling a giant shadow demon in his internal world. Yeah. And there's still a lot of lingering questions of, is this kid okay? Does he, does, is there some darkness eating away at his own self? Like, what would we see if we looked inside Riku's diamond at the heart? <laughs> that would actually be an interesting I, thing. I'm going to say at this point, I get this image of he has huge stained glass images of himself. <laughs> So why does Sora Maybe I'm being a little cruel. Images of Disney princesses. <laughs> well, Riku is the secret Disney princess. Oh boy! <laughs> After all this other stuff on the island, we have another little look at Disney World. Uh, yeah. So we immediately were brought into what Donald received. It's a letter from Mickey, and that's written in his voice. Can anyone do a Mickey voice? I I certainly I'm, can't. Oh, hey, fellas! Oh boy! Yours isn't bad. <laughs> that's why it's better than your Donald. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, fella. <laughs> You're actually really pretty good. good at that, yeah. 
Did someone mention the door to darkness? Hey, hey. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> we need to have you read the uh, the fool that you are uh, monologue. Everything we know and love is reducible to the absurd acts of chemicals. And there is therefore no intrinsic value to this material universe. It's hypocrite uh, that you are. Okay. Yeah, hypocrite, hypocrite that you that are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. For you trust the chemicals in your brain to tell you they are chemicals. All knowledge is ultimately based on that which we cannot prove. Will you fight or will you perish like a dog? <laughs> yeah, that's really actually really well good. On that. Holy shit! <laughs> we actually might include that because that was good. <laughs> so, anyways, Mickey writes his letters exactly as he speaks. Like, hey, fellas, I'm going off to do this now, and I'm sounding more like Kermit the Frog, I think. <laughs> I hope. Anyways. Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll test as we go. So Nikki's saying how he's off to find something that Donald and Goofy need to go find the, the wielder of the key. Mm-hmm. And then, so the two of them are walking through. They've already left the, the, the Daisy and Minnie behind. They're no longer in the scene. So yeah, he's had one mini appearance. And Donald's saying how, well, how's, how's he put it? Like, we have, it's like, we can't sell anyone what's going on. Goofy. Right. We have to protect the world border. Order. <laughs> uh, and and even has to grab the camera down just to yell at him. Like he yep. just, he's out of frame because Goofy's so much taller than him. Yep. And <laughs> yeah. like so that's sort of like implying that they have a prime directive type thing going on, which is yep. also do not, weird. Do not inter- oh, of course. Do not interfere with the development of any society that has not yet developed gummy ship technology. <laughs> 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 Speaking of gummy mm-hmm. ship, uh, Chip and Dale are apparently engineers, which kind of makes which, sense, I guess. <laughs> well, I still want a, a Chip and Dale people... Rescue Rangers world in Kingdom Hearts and in, in another game sometime. You take oh, a live action CGI so movie hybrid as of this time of filming. I feel that's like that would work in a setup like Dream Drop Distance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, their world, unless you go into Rescue Rangers, is basically just the main world. They first appeared mm-hmm. in cartoons harassing Donald Duck. Yeah. <sighs> I was ever his bit where a, like, they were stealing from his apple tree. <laughs> it's like, I, th- apple I think core. a DuckTales world would also work a lot. Oh, I love that show. The Apple Core Baltimore thing. No, it's Apple Core. Say some more. Who is your uh, friend? Donald goes, me. And he gets hit with an apple for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember like three that. Three times of the shorts. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't it was really good. About. I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, he tries to do it to, Ch- to Dale, and Dale says, like, who's your friend? Dale says, him, points at Chip, and Chip gets pegged with the apple. <laughs> <laughs> and it does end with Don. And, and these, Donald always comes out the worst of it because he's kind of in his hostile, I'm Tom fighting off Jerry sort of mode, so he loses badly to these very chipper, sarcastic chipmunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chip of course, and Dale were some of my favorite characters. And then there was Rescue Rangers, which then turned them into, you know, Indiana Jones and uh, Magnum P.I. Which was also fun. I think a DuckTales world would also work for Kingdom Hearts 2. They've already introduced basically all the characters they need I except mean, for Launchpad. Here's the thing. New DuckTales, we've had references to Chip and Dale. We've had mentions of the towns from Goof Troop, from Tailspin. There could be a whole thing if the next one uses the DuckTales cartoon now. But Scrooge mm-hmm. exists in Hollow Bastion. Spoilers. That's what I'm saying. We have all the characters. We have Huey, Dewey, and Louie. We have Scrooge. I think, no, I think all those characters actually come from Final Fantasy land. In this universe. Uh, oh, actually, no. Okay, this is getting into way distant territory. But, but Donald is one of the most powerful mages in Final Fantasy land. 
This is my new headcanon. Ducks come from Final Fantasy Land. <laughs> that explains so much. No, it doesn't, but let's go with it. <laughs> so, yeah, with our, with our Gummy Ship Prime Directive, the idea is they can't tell anyone about other worlds. Now, we'll see how they actually keep up with that and if ever effing matters. <laughs> Somebody should tell the weird brown cloaked guy. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure he's not for following directives. So anyways, of course, the Chippendale are your gummy ship protectors. As, they, as the hatch opens in front of the ship for a traumatic launch, they open a trapdoor under and dump him out with Goofy's famous yell. Yep. Yo-wee. I can't do that either. Good effort, but it's very hard to do. Yeah. So uh-huh. now we see something truly unprecedented for the rest of the series. Sora's bedroom. <laughs> Sora has a house and a mom. Yeah. <laughs> we hear her calling the dinner. And I just want to keep you in the mind. What happens here is Sora's in his room, which has, you know, is about as a messy kid's room. Not super awful, but definitely cluttered. He sees a storm coming. He worries about his raft. So he runs out, ignoring his mom's call to dinner, out to the raft. And as we'll see, he never goes home. Mm-hmm. What does his yep. mom think happened? <laughs> he died at sea. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, just, okay, here's I, the thing, though. In about 10 minutes game time. She's not going to worry about it. Yeah, no one's going to worry about where Sora is. Because, that's fine, but uh, I just this just sort of thought that stays in my head forever. I mean, I know what you're saying there. That's fine. Well, I will say this: going going way further, she is going to start worrying about where Sora is again. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> For right now, something is going on on the island, and we're not sure what's happening. It's weird. <laughs> Head back out to the island, and it's crawling with shadows again. Something is going on, and all Sora has is a stick. And it's not working. It is, yeah. Um, trying to fight the Heartless at this point with your little wooden sword is not a good idea. Basically, you, you boff them. I don't even think you move them. It does no damage. So you just got to be running through the whole field there. Yep. And as a base of where you run first is you run out to Brood Island. And, of course, Riku's there. And he is definitely on his shit now. Yep. Riku, <laughs> ha- Riku has gone full Riku. <laughs> This is like we can do what we we can do what we want to now. We can go, and then shadows are eating him from the ends from the from the bottom up. Scary, spooky stuff is going on on Destiny Islands. As you reach out for him, he reaches out for you, and then pow, he's gone. Yeah. So speaking of, speaking of that, do you think that the uh, that the brown cloaked uh, dude visited Riku as well, and he was more receptive to uh, what he had to say? I'm not oh. really clear on that. I feel like we get more than one explanation for what causes this. Mm-hmm. The connecting of the worlds is what's causing this uh, the Heartless to come in, correct? Something yes. like the that. Heart, the Heartless are only able to go to worlds that are connected to each other. Because this world has been connected, as the brown cloak guy has said, the Heartless are starting to rush in or consuming the world. Uh, well, yes, but Riku is clearly doing something with the Heartless right, or the right. Heartless. Well, he, it might be so. It might be that his own darkness is what's drawing them in. It's really unclear. He seems perfectly happy what's going on, and they aren't attacking him, but the shadow is coming up on him. Yeah, they're kind of forming around him as, as, we, as we lose mm-hmm. him. And they seem to be grabbing Sora, too. In fact, after Riku vanishes, he falls, he's being overtaken by it, and then... Sora gets the most iconic weapon in video gaming. <laughs> we don't want a sword. We want something that really just suggests that it's opening the path here. I want a great big key that kind of has little sharp parts in it. Yep, and so it, doesn't, it isn't even that sharp, but apparently it's a sword. 
And this additional one is called, they said the, the, the initial design, which kind of ends up be default one, they call it the kingdom key. And it kind of mm. takes a bit of notice, at least me, that the teeth of it are actually forming like a, something like the Disney castle almost. Yeah, it's got a crown uh, design uh, in reverse. On the teeth. Yep. So now you can fight, and you fight through the shadows there. And the at this point, everything seems like you're starting to get cut off from zones. You're forced towards the secret cave again. Mm-hmm. And now you see the door is open. Yep. And Kyrie is there. Mm-hmm. And then she's not. Yep. She gets poofed away the, with a very she's, mournful she's, voice. She's flung at you. She goes, like, transparent and kind of flies through you, and then she's gone. Mm-hmm. It's very Final Fantasy. <laughs> yes. Like, and then... Things have gotten so much worse as you're on eight because suddenly Sora's on just this chunk of, of of crumbling land in an endless void with nothing else visible. Like like it's a bit of rock, some sand, and that's just it. And we have to fight another dark side. Yep, new one pops up, and this one it fights basically the same. I think it has like a new blast when it pulls its hand out of the ground. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier this time around because the keyblade is a lot stronger, right? Yeah, you're high. Well, you're higher level because you beat up your friends for for power. Unless you are weird and you are playing it on proud mode at with the no XP uh, ability turned on, <laughs> that just seems too hard in general. So <laughs> that basically you beat Dark Side, but you're stuck. There's nothing there, and all can sort of do is just get pulled into the shadow again. Mm-hmm. And then we're off into the Infinite Nights, and that's the end of the first half of the prologue. Yep, uh, there was a lot of Kingdom Hearts esque stuff going on in the first part of Kingdom Hearts. A lot of it, well, I do admit the game does start letting up on it after a bit, but we still got more to go through. Mm -hmm. And with that, though, I think we're out of time for this episode. We will save the second half of the prologue, which is a bit shorter for our next episode. And And we'll meet some more Final Fantasy characters as we go. Yep. And, And remember, a good story is best when shared with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release.